Hello, I'm Steph. And I'm Al. And this is The Source, a podcast from Chicken and Chips Casting. Conversations with people we love, talking about things we love and hate or feel strong feelings about. And it's all no BS. This episode of The Source is brought to you by We Audition. We are big fans of this platform and we plug it relentlessly in workshops and with actors. We hear so often actors can't find a scene partner for their audition and this is the immediate solution. It's a global platform that helps you find a scene partner on demand through video chat for rehearsals and self-tapes worldwide. So if you need an accent or just decide to tape at 2am, We Audition is where you'll find someone. It also enables actors to meet casting directors, agents and industry experts for one-on-ones through video chat. Sign up for a membership to access actors and industry professionals all around the world. You could also be a reader for other actors, which is a great way to continue practicing and playing with scenes. We're offering our listeners a 25% discount on your membership when you use the code SOURCE25. That's S-A-U-C-E-2-5. Head to weaudition.com to sign up. SOURCE25 for your discount. Hello. Oh, hey. What's happening? Uh, oh, you know, the usual. We've been just busting out some work this morning. Mm, bit of work. I'm hungry. Same. I'm going to keep saying it. I know. You've been saying that for like the last two hours. I think I've been saying it the last two days, haven't I? I'm just constantly hungry. <laughs> just starving. Um, uh, what's your sauce? Uh, my sauce. Oh, God. I've got a good sauce. Oh, wow. Uh. Um, uh, I went dancing on an actual <gasps> dance floor for oh, the first time. you told me that before we got into a tiny <laughs> booth together. Sorry. No. COVID. Okay. Heaps of COVID. Yeah. Um, no, I feel fine. And this was like, yep. No, nah, we're fine. good. We're Thank good. God. <laughs> we're good here. Um, very COVID safe. Uh, went Where to did you go? F- went to Frankie's. Oh, oh no, I you did. Didn't. I did. I did it. Did you get a dirty pizza as well? No, oh. because we, my friend and I, Soph, had dinner at Ragazzi. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, uh, but they like booted us out in a COVID hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um so, and then we went bar hopping and went to like a piano bar, oh which God. was really fun. Oh, fun. Um, I love that shit. Um, and it's called Dean and Nancy's if anyone wants to look it up. Love it. And then we went to... Frankie's. Old, no, nah, we to, then we went to a, a gin bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can't remember the name of it. It's, the it's near bar. the Baxter Inn. Can't okay. remember it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, you stand in a line a bunch of, uh, you know, amongst a bunch of bins. So it's quite, um, of course, yeah. you know, Classic. bit Melbourne. Um, and then we went to another bar called Old Mate's Place. We were just everywhere, man. Um, uh, hopefully I don't have COVID. Um, Seriously, and I'm slightly concerned now. You're just now. like, holy shit, where have you been? Yeah. Uh, and then we went to, uh, yeah, Frankie's. Frankie's. And we waited in line. And oh my, God. oh, my God. I'm sorry. But again, this is like the TikTok thing. Oldest two people in the line. Um, it's because you went, it's Frankie's. I bet you weren't the oldest people at the piano bar. No, we weren't. Exactly. We were the youngest people at the piano yeah, bar. It's and all the about oldest the context. People, yeah. Right? So waiting in the line and I was like, this is pretty fucking boring. So Soph and I, because we'd had 
like a billion drinks, had just started busting out some DJ sets on our phone. Great. And had the whole, basically the whole line dancing. And then Brilliant. as we got closer to the front, we were like, we're not going to get a let in if we keep doing this. So we're going to have to oh, shut can it down, it. shut yeah. the party down. Um, but yeah, I can tell you dance floors are not dead and 18 year olds know the words to like silver chair songs mm. and it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have some music's just not dead. It's punk, punk and rock, not dead. It's not dead. Not dead. No. And I'm very happy about that. Great. Um, but yeah, can confirm, you know, dance floors are back. I'm ready. Yeah. Ready to hit the D floor. You're just like, please don't take me to that low roofed COVID infested. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to think about more air though. <laughs> a bit more air. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm actually just ready to hit a D floor that's not my um, living room dancing to Moana. Yeah, so no. If I could, yeah. That's like, that's I need a new, Really good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just, and the, the DJ there who I just kept feeding tracks to Ricky who played every one of my tracks thank you good um, on you Ricky we'll just take requests so shout out to Ricky just there you speaking go. from previous experience drunk Steph hates when a DJ won't take her request fucking like, hate it fucking hates it so she it. will start a riot in yeah. a bar if a di- I mean to be fair I think it's you're a monster if you're a DJ that doesn't take a request in a place with a dance floor yeah. if I just want to bust out a move to Miley Cyrus Give me the opportunity to. You just, anyway. Yeah, exactly. I just. You don't. You want to make everyone happy. Absolutely. Like you you as a person has to have to read the room, and sometimes I'm not great at that. I'll be honest. But um, Mm. I read the room, and I was like, oh, this is getting a great response because my my aim was to try and find a song where I was like, oh, you guys don't know the words to this one, but Mm -hmm. no, 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 they were all them. Yeah, eighteen year olds. There you go. Good on you, Ricky. Good on you, Ricky. Um, what's your source? Uh, well, my source is a little bit more wholesome. Oh. Not nearly as <laughs> wild, but my daughter Riley turned three. Aww. Yeah. Happy birthday, Riley. Yeah. So she, I had a, a weekend of um, aggressive frozen Moana dinosaur related activities Great. and toys and... It was so fun. Yeah. It was just really nice after lockdown and feeling like she was just like everything was just like you get babysat now so I can function to just like now everyone focus on Riley for just three hours. Yeah. And she was so excited and just to wake up and put on an Elsa dress and. Cute. Anyway, it's. It's very mundane and boring, but also it's still every time a kid has their birthday, aren't you like, holy shit, my kid's three. I know. It's, I, mean, I know why your mum like says to you, 21 years ago I was pushing you out of my vagina. And you're like, mum, shut up. And I'm like, seriously, three years ago I was pushing you out of my vagina. <laughs> Appreciate me. <laughs> like, I get it now. <laughs> so I can't wait till she's old enough so I can be like, yeah, look what I did. Yeah. I mean, I look at Ziggy and have been saying recently, um, I created you. Yeah. You came out of and my body. Function. I Sometimes I look at her face and I'm like, your eyeballs work. Yeah. <laughs> like I get very existential. My body like, grew your eyeballs. Yeah, I made those eyeballs and yeah. they work. Yeah. And then that weird fucking thing you're doing right now, I made that happen. Your brain. I yeah. grew the brain. Mm. So, yeah, I, feel, I get that. And so yeah. then when they turn another year, it's like, holy shit. Right? Yeah, I know. You're three. Well, Ziggy, Ziggy turns five I in know, March. It's crazy. I'm like, oh my god. When did this happen? And yeah, I just when comes the day that I can tell you. Yeah, 
we went through shit to get you into this world and oh i tell ziggy that all the time yeah (laughs) riley still looks at me and she oh she looks at photos of herself as as a six month old and she's like that's when i was in mummy's belly i'm like (laughs) you don't quite get this but no no i've pushed you out by then you, and I sometimes You're I in the stand, land. Sometimes I do stand in front of her and be like, "You came out like this," and show her from the crotch. And she oh, doesn't quite yeah. get that. She's like, "No, I come. I she I pop out of the belly. No, not that oh. fucking easy." Yeah, Ziggy's got my um, cesarean scar that she's quite obsessed with because mm. she knows that that's where, that's she, came where from. she came out Actually, of. That's so interesting for yeah. a kid. Like how visceral that they can see their exit. Yeah. I mean, Riley could see her exit too, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's a bit fun. Well, <laughs> okay, here's a lesson in anatomy. I mean, I said she turned three. It's probably too soon, isn't it? I mean, the older she gets, the more awkward it is, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's true, actually. God, this is pretty weird. All right. Um, that was a wholesome source. There you go. Not so wholesome. Maybe everyone's learnt something from that. Maybe. How to parent your child. Still nope. not sure. No. Got no tips for you. <laughs> anyway, great, great chat. Great chat. Guess we'll talk to someone else now. Yeah, we're going to talk to someone else now. Someone, well, hopefully they're more interesting than we are. <laughs> Today's guest is Maddie Mills. After graduating from WAPA, the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, in 2013, Media personality Maddie Mills created waves by uncovering the Star Observer with the bold statement, gay, black and proud, before cementing his role in the entertainment industry as a presenter, working for Channel 9, SBS and NITV. The Deadly Award winner has hosted major international events such as the 2018 Mardi Gras online live stream and both the Dreamtime Awards and ARIA Awards red carpet coverage. Most recently, Maddie returned to our screens as entertainment reporter for NITV and SBS's first all-Indigenous morning show, Big Mob Brekkie, and has launched his own IGTV series, In the Moment, with Maddie Mills, which is awesome, showcasing the careers of Indigenous artists and entertainers, entertainers from around the world. Welcome, Maddie, to The Source. Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be a part of the podcast. We're stoked to have you. Yeah, we're very excited about this chat. Sweet. Well, look, um, I'm excited to be here, so let's get it going. <laughs> let's yeah, get into right it. Right. Well, let's kick it off with what's your source of the week? My source of the week, um, I don't think I can top what has happened this morning. I've, I've spent the morning with the wonderful Jessica Malboy. Oh, um, she released her new single today with a new record label and this new era of music. So I basically spent the whole morning chatting to her about that. Um, and we were supposed to have a 20 minute interview and we ended up going for nearly two hours. So, um, oh my God, had- who has to edit that? I know, right? So the, the broadcaster who I'm working for obviously has to get going <laughs> and edit. But my pitch is why don't we just do a Jessica Malboy special? Oh my gosh, yes. Great pitch. Great pitch. I thought you were going to be like, my pitch is why don't we do the Maddie and Jessica show? <laughs> also an option. I would watch that. Yeah, that would be great. We, we have a lot of history. So we just were talking about everything from, um, we've known each other for many years, but we haven't actually had a chance to sit down and have a convo or like, you know, do a gig together. So we had um, our moment and we took it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so good. That's a great gig. Oh, well, the broadcaster will be happy about that. Mm. Yeah, they have a lot of content, a lot of, um, we did waffle on a bit about like 
food and dumb shit, but um, <laughs> we definitely got um, some great content. <laughs> that's so good. Love good it. Um, well, that's a great source of the week. I don't think I can top that. No. Um, can you – so we, we sort of start off with a little bit of background question with everyone. Can you give us a bit of an insight into young Maddie? Yeah, absolutely. Young Maddie, um, first and foremost, was way wiser and <laughs> I think way more um, considered than I've grown into be, um, which sometimes I have to remind myself about young Maddie. I was a, I was a young kid with um, really big dreams and I also was somebody who questioned everything and um, always sort of you know, knew the the line between right and wrong. Um, I, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney with a single mom and brothers, and um, and then went into the care system um, a little bit later on in my life. But I was a little wise kid, a little know it all, and um, my nickname was the detective <laughs> because I would find out so much information about you know, circumstances or, you know, things that would happen in my family's life that nobody else knew. So I think, um, yeah, I was a wise little um, go-getter. Were you always destined to end up in the entertainment industry or? I had a dream um, when I was younger, not a literal dream, but, you know, I had goals and aspirations um, Mm -hmm. to be an actor. And I went to acting school after high school in Perth so I went and did WAPA and I didn't learn a thing to be honest I went there to basically um become an actor and I instead I came out so um you know I I just sort of didn't know anyone I stepped off the plane and I could be my true self so it was a moment where I didn't learn anything about acting but I learned so much about myself um and yeah and and obviously I hasn't all sort of I'm not just an actor but I you know I live in the TV land and it's my happy place um so yeah I think that's a better t- kind of school I mean yeah. no offense to the acting students but we all probably need the school of life the school of life we talk about this all the time yeah. is like what yeah. what valuable lessons can you learn about yourself from your experiences so uh, I I am somebody who champions tough experiences because I've been through you know as a young kid I went through so much um so many challenges and and what i call hurdles but as the hurdles you know you as as you jump one hurdle two hurdle three hurdles you become a hurdler and it becomes much easier to jump um the following hurdles or the following challenges so for me i think you know lessons in life and sometimes they are tough are so valuable Mm, absolutely yeah totally it must make you a good problem solver um look i am good at um i suppose uh, look, I'm I'm no good at literal like um, solving problems. <laughs> Maths like, problems. Yeah, or like <laughs> um, building things. I'm the worst. Like <laughs> following instructions, I cannot follow instructions at all. Oh, I, I, don't I, give I, you the IKEA furniture. Oh, that's me. I I can't do that I, either. I can't. And I we we built my partner and I we built a um storage um shelf in the garage the other day, and um I just I literally grabbed the instructions and just threw them, and I was like. You know, I, I just don't follow them. I just do it myself, but it always fails. So um, <laughs> I, I can't even follow a recipe, to be honest. I I go get about halfway through the recipe and then think that I've turned into a chef and that I know better. You make it up. Oh, my God, this is me. This is exactly <laughs> so me. I'm not the best problem solver, but I am somebody who can, has a, you know, I feel like I have a good worldview and I can um, sort of unpack situations pretty well. 
Yeah. That's Amazing. adaptability. Mm. You just yeah. you're adapting to that lack of recipe because you've set it on fire. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's um I think it's the creative brain just wants to take over the mm. the other side. The process. Yeah. It's like you follow the process for a little minute and then you're like, oh. I also think we have a little bit of arrogance in us of like, well, I can build this storage unit. I mean, really, how hard can it be? Totally. <laughs> Turns yeah. out quite hard. <laughs> Turns out that, you know, it, we, we built it, but it... Um, it doesn't it, work. <laughs> yeah, we put a crucial piece in and then had to, un- like, descend. Oh, um, no. Instructions are there for a reason and mm. I think learn yeah <laughs> oh well maybe one day just yeah. sell it sell it on gumtree and don't tell anyone well, it's, it's doing okay but um i and the other issue was and i'm just getting into the details of my storage unit but um <laughs> there was a missing piece so we were baffled by oh well that's own. not your fault then and exactly so i mean 50 50 yeah follow the instructions and a missing piece mm. Mm. i mean that's not on you at all then yeah um, blaming ikea for that yeah <laughs> So can you talk us more about um, when you were a kid and some of the hurdles you had to go through? I know you ended up in the foster care system um, and you ended up being uh, reunited with your dad later in life, didn't you? Yeah. So I grew up with, as I said, my single mum and my brothers and um, we grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. We had a really tough childhood. My mum had a lot of trauma and baggage from her life. Um prior to having children that she sort of brought into her motherhood and um and it, and, it, and my dad left when we we were really young um based on a really awful incident that happened to my mum while they were in a fair relationship um you know she she went through such a traumatic experience that um it broke them apart and he left um basically unannounced and this was when i was um before school so this was you know i was four years old or three and a half or four years old and he sort of walked out the door and um, just didn't come back. And that's left my brothers and I um, to live a really tough life with my mum who was struggling immensely with um, not just the traumatic experiences that she went through, but she had addiction problems and substance abuse problems that um, she was never able, and still to this day, hasn't been able to um, get past. And um, so that's what sort of led to us being taken from my mum and put into foster care. But while uh, we were living with my mum, we were told that my dad had passed away. So we grew up with the belief that our dad was dead and that we um, we accepted that. And that was something that was always a part of our life, whether it was when we were moving house, we would, you know, uh, we had a rose that we would dig up in every every house and we would transfer, transfer um, and that was the symbol of dad and it was a yellow rose. And we had this whole thing which was like, you know, paying homage to this man who was dead, but he was actually alive and, and looking back on it, it's just crazy. But as kids, you accept what your parents say or, you know, or what adults tell you. So we grew up with that belief. Um, but then once we were taken into foster care, of course, they look through documentation and they try and find the evidence and there was no death certificate. So they went on the hunt for my dad and they found him and he was living in um, the country, you know, uh, Northwest New South Wales in Tamworth. And they contacted him and he had a girlfriend and they had kids and he was playing the dad role in that family and just sort of, I suppose, forgot about us in, to be honest. And I think he had his own demons as well. But um, when we found out that he was alive, it was the shock of our lives. You can wow. imagine. Yeah. Being 
we questioned it in that moment. We we didn't believe them. We said no. You know, we there's no way. And when I was young, I'd only seen. I only had one or two memories of my dad that I can say that I actually remember when I was young. And then I remember seeing a photo of him. So I didn't actually really have a memory or connection to him um, that I could say that I strongly sort of resembled, but resembled um, towards a connection. But I definitely feel like when I saw him, that was the moment where I knew that my dad was alive. And um, yeah, I actually asked him, I said, oh, what do I call you? Like, do I call you dad or like what, you know, Rick or? It was, a, it was a really weird moment for us, for sure. How many years had passed? I was um, in year six, so from sort of all of my primary school. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. I don't want to say this naively without knowing what your experience um, in foster care was, but it's almost um, very fortuitous that you ended up in the system because you yeah. may not have found him. Exactly. You know, I always believe that things happen for a reason. And I know that every little thing that you do or the choice that you make leads to another choice or leads to another destination or, you know, is your fate. But um, I have the same view. I think if I didn't, if I wasn't taken into foster care, my life, I know would have been really tough um, Mm. living with my mum and um, the circumstances of not even having food to go to school or not having shoes to go to school or being left. One of the main reasons we were put into foster care is because she would, you know, just leave us places and we'd be there for days and and people would be, you know, like, who, whose kids are these? They were really um, weird. And, and she left um, us with my great man, who's now passed, but she left us with her for three weeks and this was an 80-year-old woman looking after three little boys and she just couldn't do it anymore. So this, not going to school, obviously the welfare system gets a hold of it and um, and we were taken because she was, yeah, she. I think she gave up on us, to be honest. Mm. Goodness. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, that's amazing that you've come through all that. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I've always been a positive person, even through my experiences. I have... Um, I still have a relationship with my mum and my dad. Um, my dad is somebody who sort of swooped in late and saved the day. And I respect him for that because he did sort of leave everything he had established behind to to get us boys out of um, foster care. He even um, stopped drinking alcohol. He stopped um, smoking marijuana. He had to do tests weekly. So he put in the hard yards when it came to the crunch, um, when, you know, he, he realised that we were in care. So... Um, and with my mum, my, my relationship with my mum is um, she lives 15 minutes around the corner from me and um, I still struggle to have a relationship with her because of her addiction, but um, I still go and spend time with her and I just had to take away any judgment I had because, or, or not judgment, any um, expectation because I suppose when I was younger, I expected her to be somebody. She wasn't that person. I kept on expecting her to turn up to the party and it was never going to happen. And I now know that it will never happen. So if I want a relationship with her, I have to just accept her for who she is. And that's where we're at today with our relationship. Yeah. Wow. It's hard. It's hard when we're kids though, because we do put parents up on a pedestal and we do, and we see other people's parents and we think, oh, and even as, so Al and I have two young kids, um, at one young child each ourselves um, and I think we also compare ourselves to other mothers mm. and and you know I think as a child you do compare your parents to other parents and so you do set the bar um, so it's very hard to unlearn that 
going through adulthood. I and think. it's hard to un- not do that as a kid. Basically yeah. impossible. Yeah. Like for me, I've um, I have a lot of nieces and nephews now, and I I see how hard it is to be in a, you know, a really great family as parents, um, you know, with two supportive parents and with kids through my brother's relationships with their families. But um, I also see how hard it is for parents. And I could only imagine how hard it was for my mom having all her issues, um, trying to raise these boys without a dad around. I, so I don't ever, I've never played the blame game and, and sort of judged her for it, to be honest. Mm. read a little something um that you have a a reputation for asking for what you want and getting it for instance uh asking or convincing your boarding school to offer you an indigenous scholarship and getting it um where do you think this quality comes from and how do you think it's helped your career because I feel like you have just gone from like you know, strength to strength and your career has built very rapidly. So yeah, how do you think that's helped you? I uh, always was this way. And it's so, it's so funny. I, to the point where I can have, I have memories of um, needing food when I was younger. So I would ask my mum for her card, knowing that she wouldn't go and get the food. That do you remember Franklin's? It was a- Mm, Yes, that was my local grocery store. So I would ask my mum for her card on payday and I would go and do the shopping because I knew that if I didn't do it, nobody was going to do it and nobody even nobody cared enough to go and do the shopping. So I was like a really young kid and they had delivery, like um, home delivery. So you would buy the groceries and the lady would be looking at me like, what is this kid doing here? And I'd just, you know, do the card and the pin and then she would get it delivered to the house. And it was like, from I, that's the earliest memory I have of asking for something because I needed it and I know that um, that it was going to be good for me that I had to do it and I think ever ever since that moment I've continued to do that where I know that if I just sit back and hope and you know hope and pray that somebody notices me or or hope and pray that somebody gives me an opportunity it's likely that they're not going to because there's people out there that you know are in positions where they're working really hard and they deserve it as well so I've always been the type of person and I think that it can come across a little bit forward but I always ask the question if for instance I was watching Getaway um the tv show on a Thursday night last year and I saw that every single presenter was a white presenter with blonde hair and they all were the same and I walked away and I came back and I couldn't remember if the presenter had changed and to me that was a massive issue because they moved into one so I the next week I emailed um, somebody at Channel 9 and I said, I want to meet with the executive producer, John Walsh, who I've met before. And I went in and I said to him, I said, John, I know this probably hasn't crossed your mind, but everyone on Getaway is, you know, very blonde, white, Aussie, and there's no diversity. And I find that you're showing off our nation and you're just showing one dimension um, to the people who live here. And anyway, so I went in and I asked if I could be the first ever Indigenous presenter on the show. And that for me is like, you know, people would think, wow, oh my gosh, like how can, how can you just go into Channel 9 and ask them if you can be an Indigenous presenter on the show? It's like, yeah, most people won't do that, but that's something that I'm willing to go in and, and you know, 
I was ready to, for John to say, no, that's not the show. We've been doing it for 30 years. We know the formula. It works, blah, blah, blah. But I, and I was almost embarrassed to be put in that position, but I knew that I had to, and, and it's beyond me. It's, it's actually about, you know, inclusion and diversity and, and yeah. making sure that we're shown. So I'm, I'm a bit, I suppose, brazen when it comes to asking the questions, but it's got me to where I am. So I'm going to yeah. continue to do it. Mm. Yeah. Well, have you got, have you got any advice for anyone that might be sitting on their hands thinking that they want to do the same thing? Because yeah. you sort of have this a give no fucks attitude, which I feel like people could learn a lot from. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do have a bit of a give no fucks attitude, to be honest. And I always think if you don't ask, you don't know. And, um, I, I would say that if there is an idea that you're really passionate about, but you feel like, um, that you're the only one sort of, you know, in your corner, go and find a team, like talk to, talk to other people about your idea, open up and share it. Um, and then, you know, and bounce your ideas off people. Um, and, and don't be afraid to collaborate because I, I would never, funny thing is, is that in high school, when I, I went to this boarding school, as you mentioned before, and I was the only black fella in this school and I was so embarrassed to ask questions and I was so embarrassed to, um, I obviously asked the question to go there and I had to, you know, I basically, it's so funny, as a, as a 13 year old kid, I had to do a, um, a speech in front of a board that I'd never even, you know, I, I didn't think that was like even a thing, but to get into this school, they made me do this speech. And anyway, so I got into the school, but when I got to the school, I felt like my confidence was really shut down because I was surrounded by all these kids that had everything and I had nothing. And when I left boarding school and I'd go back to my community, I felt like I was going back to, um, you know, the, the, the things that I wanted to get out of. So um, in high school, I was the opposite. But then mm -hmm. when I came out of high school, I became confident again. So it's, it, you... I sort of, you know, started off asking questions, stopped asking questions, and now I'm back to asking questions. Mm, yeah. Do you, sorry, just, just to touch on that, um, do you think that that was a lack of support from the school that you felt I, like that? Definitely. I was the guinea pig and, like, mm. I was the first ever Indigenous student at this school and it was in 2009 or eight. Oh, my That's God. crazy. It is so insane. And I was offered a position. I went to a boarding schools expo in my um, hometown of Tamworth and I went and spoke with, you know, all these other schools that are at the same elite, you know, um, in quotations, um, level. And I was offered three of the schools that had already been, um, had already received uh, scholarships for other Indigenous kids and they had already, you know, been at the school. But Shaw, Shaw, the Shaw School was the school that I went to and they had never had an Indigenous person. So I refused three offers from this school and got declined first from Shaw, and I still refused the office because I I felt like I needed to get into this school. So six months later, they called us back and was like, now we're thinking about it. And then the process happened. So it was like, yeah, well, it was meant to be obviously because now they have two um, blackfellas every year that get get a chance to go to this school and, um, and I have cousins there now. So I definitely feel like it, you know, it obviously has changed and they are supported, but in the beginning, I definitely wasn't. Mm. Wow, we really made some differences there, which is very impressive. Yeah. I think it's like what you're good at accepting is that 
like you said, when you went into Channel 9, you said they might turn around and say, no, that's not the right brand and that's all wrong. And I think that's something everyone can take that, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? But yeah. I feel like the, the worst thing that could happen is actually wondering if you'd never tried. Absolutely. I think that all the time. I have crazy ideas all the time. Some of them I don't mention. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you can go over that in 24 hours. But um, <laughs> like other ideas where I'm like, no, I have to I have to voice this or I have to, you know, bring this up and um, because I'm the type of person that that will think about it forever mm. until sort of get it out there. Yeah. And you, I feel like you have great successes with what you do. You obviously pick and choose the right ones, whatever the crazy ones are. They're probably, probably <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. Some of them I'm like, I have the most amazing idea and I tell my partner and he's like, yeah, sleep on that one. Yeah, Steph yeah. does the same thing. <laughs> I do that with Al all the time. Good. So good. It's usually anyway, a text like, message. Like, there was obviously a chemically, I was chemically imbalanced. Last yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I can relate. Yeah, that's good. And you can relate to telling me to sleep on it. Yeah, just give that a minute. Just sit on that for a sec. Yeah. Um. So where did you, how did we end up in presenting? Can you tell us about that journey? Because you studied to be an actor, um, yeah. didn't learn much about acting, but yeah. you've ended up becoming a very renowned presenter. Well, I feel like um, when I came out of acting school, and I started to audition, I still found it hard to, um, I suppose, play somebody else where in the presenting world I could be myself. And so in acting, in the acting school, so WAPA, I, I, I suppose I found myself and I didn't want to let go of that by, you know, and I know it's not like as an actor you let go of yourself, but what I'm saying is I found it easier to still be Maddie in the presenting world um, and have important conversations or share important stories. Um, and it's only recently that I've just started to get back into acting after five, six years. So I'm, you know, re I've recently signed with a new acting manager who, you know, and I, and the reason I signed with them is because I've just, I just feel like recently I've come in to really know who I am. So it took a long time sort of after acting school to really, I suppose, learn a lot about myself. Um, and now I, f I feel more confident. And I feel like I, I would be acting for the right reasons. Yeah. I mean, that's an important part of being an actor, right, is being able to bring yourself to the roles. So mm -hmm. I feel like you've done the work. Mm. But I really love that. I love that you ended up finding yourself and more comfort in yourself that you owned. Just I just want to be Maddie for a while, yeah. but I've, I'm going to still find a place to be Maddie in the entertainment industry. I think that's and brilliant. I had a great time working because I'm at the moment I'm not tied to a network, which I love. I'm doing tourism for Channel Nine, and I'm doing entertainment for SBS and NITV. This has like been the most flexible I've been and um I'm you know about to start a radio show doing you know black entertainment on uh, a radio show for Corey Radio so like for me I'm loving not feeling tied to a network mm. uh, it just feels like COVID flipped the world upside down and for some things um you know it was a world of good mm. I yeah. mean you're doing entertainment and tourism it's literally the two best things yeah surely <laughs> Next up is food and Bev, surely. 
Some whining and dining. Yeah, go and trial all the restaurants and all the hotels. <laughs> great. Yeah. Love That's that. Great. I guess we can lead into your own show, your um, IGTV show. Um, in the mo- in the moment. In the moment. How did that eventuate, and why was that important for you to create? I had the idea of um, doing a show and uh, uh, like an actual series, TV series, um, before COVID hit, and I had been working on, you know, workshopping the ideas and, and getting it sort of um, getting the pitch together. When COVID hit, I had to find a way to be able to still create. And um, so I had to, I scaled back my project and I created this IGTV series. And at first it was going to not just be um, First Nations people. It was going to be, you know, into the lounge rooms and the lives of, you know, celebrities, entertainers, sports athletes. And it wasn't just going to be blackfellas. But um, what I wanted to do was shine a light on, you know, the incredible achievements of um, black entertainers and black athletes and people who I found inspiring and I thought would would be able to inspire people in a tough time and in the and then I just thought you know um IGTV series sort of works for now um, it's definitely the first like iteration of the project I would say um, it's it, I I feel like this in the moment um, show has the opportunity to, to be bigger. Um, but it was definitely catering to the whole COVID side of things. And I really enjoyed um, how casual it was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like we got to have great conversations, but it was like tuning into lounge rooms and, you know, and I had Barker on there who's a female rapper and she was sitting in a car talking to me. It was like mm. super chill, um, but with great convo and inspiring stories. And it was, you know, and I always think how can my mob access you know, the stuff that I do as well. Like sometimes it's hard when you're out there working to be able to spread the message and go, oh, I did this, 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 and this. This is where you can find it. And I knew that my mob could find these stories on my Instagram. It was a very easy place to push people. So um, that's where the idea came from. That's how it evolved and then sort of scaled back. I have big aspirations to be able to create a, a series, um, sort of, I don't know if you saw ABC's Courtney's, yeah. you know. I was literally just thinking about that as you were talking. I was like, this is like Courtney Act, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I saw that and, and um, obviously after I, did, after I did my series and I thought it's so interesting because it's a very similar as, aspect in terms of, the one-to-one conversation, but I want to take people, you know, out of their comfort zones a little bit as well. Mm. Um, I, I, the idea is that I would do a do a, an experience or an activity with them while we have a cool. great conversation, whether it's you know skydiving or whether it's you know being on a boat somewhere and having awesome combos. So there is big dreams for for that series to evolve. Mm. Yeah, wow. That's a great idea. I, I do. I did love the casualness of it, though, because mm. um, I think during COVID, um, Al and I did some Instagram lives as well on our via our Instagram. And I think it was like it was nice just to connect with people, mm-hmm. like because you couldn't obviously go and see people, but you did it in a way where it was informative and 
really engaging, but also just like also everyone was kind of just a fly on the wall in the room. So I really loved the But it is quite tone. interesting because before COVID, if, you, if we had these connections with people and certain people we had on our Instagram lives, it's not like we were ever checking in with them in their lounge room, like you're saying. So it's like we got even deeper or closer with these people. that we, They're like people were talking to us from their bed which yeah. we would never normally talk to these people from their bed or from my bed or whatever. Mm. It's just, it was. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that in the broadcast world as well, where it was like people were zooming in from their homes. Mm, yeah. See sort of you know, a glimpse into the lives of these people um, because normally they're in a studio or they're, you know, yeah. they're a backdrop. So it was, I thought it was a really interesting time to, to, you know, on all different platforms for sure. Mm, it's like yeah. everyone's guard was down. And I honestly do have a bit of a sick habit of when people post something that's in their house, especially if they're semi-celebrity and I'll like zoom and look around <laughs> their house. Like, that is great. Do, is it a shit fight at their place too? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what does and, their kitchen look like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like surely they're not getting all the dishes dried. Like you don't dry them and put them away, right? <laughs> uh, I'm Yeah, it's funny because... Um, at the moment, we, we've been doing um, Christmas shopping, so, like, the floor behind me is full of... <laughs> oh, my God, you're so organised. <laughs> see, I need to not see that because that stresses me out how unorganised I am. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I have to be organised. I have 13 nieces and nephews. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's valid. Yeah, you've got to get the list. Because if I save it till December, then I'm going to have no money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, true. You've got to spread you've it out. you got to spread it out. Yeah, manage that cash flow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk about your experience being on set for Baz's Elvis? Absolutely. I um, It's so funny how this experience came about. I was um, taking up another opportunity. I was going to, this is comical now that I think of it, um, I was going to um, be, I laugh when I say this, it was like learning a new language for me and I hated every moment of it. Um, I was in training to be um, the face of the world game um, highlight show, which is like football on SBS, has a huge following. I know nothing about football, but <laughs> they wanted me to do it. And so I was working um over eight weeks to learn i didn't even know what a var was which was like the video ref for for football yeah i didn't know what that was when you said that. i've learned something yeah great yeah i know right and so i was in this period of my career where i was like what am i doing i can't even pronounce the names of the footballers i was freaking out and then i got this call from baz lerman um through somebody who knew me and um knew baz and wanted to tee up a meeting and I didn't really know what it was about. And um, somebody who was close to me had obviously heard the struggles that I was having at SBS with this world game and I was not wanting to do it. And I'd signed on to do this thing that I just wanted to get out of because I knew that I wasn't going to be an asset. I actually knew that I wasn't going to be good. Mm. So basically um, I, you know, I, um, my dog might bark because my partner's just got home, but um, okay. <laughs> I, I knew that I wasn't going to be great. So anyway, so I took the opportunity to meet with Baz here in Sydney and um, we went and had lunch and it was, it was like meeting Baz Lerman. I was like, what is happening? And um, he said to me that he had an executive assistant position that he heard that I'd be great for and he thought that we would be able to chat about it and see if the chemistry was there to be able to work together. 
Turns out we had a great time. We spoke for hours and it was my way out of this other opportunity. So I was like, yep, great. Who's going to get angry at me when I tell them I'm going to work for Baz Luhrmann? That's the best so, excuse. I know, right? <laughs> so I basically, um, you know, I, I went back to SBS and I was like, sorry, guys, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to head off and work on the Elvis film with Baz Luhrmann and I'm going to run his life. <laughs> and that's basically, that's basically my was my resignation and um it, it was oh it was such a blessing in disguise because i i knew that the job was going to be hard i knew that working for baz Luhrmann was going to be really difficult but i also um knew that i wanted to be challenged again i became quite bored in what i was doing and, and i my presenting style isn't receiving a script and just reading it i don't want to be a robot i want to be creative and um and so I sort of got into a routine of being a bit of a robot with this whole world game thing. And it was not my thing. Um, and then I moved to the Gold Coast. It was a great excuse to go and live on the GC, a beautiful place that I thought that I'd hate, but I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, I swear it's the hipster capital of life Australia. It's super cool. It wow. reminded me of Newtown on the beach. Yeah. Oh, so, it's gotten cool, has it? It has, yeah. Oh, so okay. I, the idea that it was going to be trash yeah and, um, didn't think it, it had been updated yet good to know yeah it, it, yeah it definitely has been updated <laughs> it was um, it was really cool I had an amazing time I worked with some like incredible people like Tom Hanks that's crazy um, the funny thing was is that when the film got shut down when the papers were reporting three people on Elvis you know have been tested for coronavirus oh, it yeah, was right. common so we were working in a room no bigger than any office, like space, sort of small for three hours that day. And I was, you know, I was always on Baz's hip. It's a very Hollywood sort of world where I couldn't even leave his side most of the time. And there was code language and, and um, you know, things that body language where it's like, you know, if he taps his shoulder, I, I know that he wants to leave or, you know, it's very, very. Oh, sort of- I'm going to look for weird gestures in, yeah, any yeah, high-profile yeah. room I'm ever in, which I never am, but one day. <laughs> but it, it was a crazy world to be a part of because I, I learned a lot, but I also um, saw how hard and dedicated. Like we did 17-hour days most days, and I was always the last person to go to sleep because I would tend to Baz until he basically <laughs> wow. pat him to sleep. Basically, mm. it was like he's a red wine and good night. And then I would drive to my house and it was 20 minutes away and then, you know, be back there in no time. So I was there from the moment he woke up until the moment he went to sleep. Wow. Had you had any executive assistant experience before this? No. Oh, 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 my God. <laughs> so I worked on um, The Voice when I was young. Like, I'm talking... I volunteered on the show. So I, as a production assistant, when I was 16 or something, when I was at the boarding school. So I <laughs> sort of knew that like the world of, I've worked, you know, I worked with Jesse J and, and um, Seal and Ricky Martin. And so I like helped them in when they're on The Voice. Mm. But then I, it was completely different. Like this was, we had a security team. We had um, a van that would like, we'd open the door and the restaurant would be like, just ours and it was it was like Hollywood it was really Hollywood and I didn't think Baz was that like I didn't think that that was the level of his star and then working with him it was like wow things just really stopped. stepped up a notch yeah were wow. you stressed totally all okay the time. okay right because I'd be really panicking about fucking that up you're talking about it so casually did like... you fuck anything up <laughs> 
Um, I arrived 15 minutes late once. Um, and what late. happened? And I was, he sat me down and he said, you do realise that you're 15 minutes, you need to times that by 300 people and it's this much money and basically calculated the 15 minutes for me and then said, and you'll never do that again. And I was like, no, I won't. So that oh, was the my God. process for everything. And I absolutely I came to understand the world and I accepted all the weird and wacky sort of things of like the processes and you know, we had a, a, a Mercedes Sprinter van with everything was red velvet inside. <gasps> like, yeah, it was. Oh my god! It was I want super, that car. Like for me, coming from my background, I sort mm. of. And then you know the weirdest thing was, and this is like just name dropping now, but I sat next to Zendaya. <gasps> babe, what a babe! I know, oh and so god. it was like it was me on this side baz there and zendaya next to me and i was like what is my life in red velvet seats no um this was at the gq awards when they oh flew- boring yeah. oh but, but, <laughs> it is boring but they flew us in a private jet <gasps> all right yeah. maddie this is ridiculous you're just like you you have so many stories you have to write a book I know it's like from you know from sort of if I think about like young Maddie stealing the car to get the food to the yeah long way. I actually look how far you've come. Look at all the things you've done. I reckon the Franklins to the to the Baz executive assistants must have the best stories. Like surely, oh totally. If you're just an executive assistant to anybody high profile in any profession or industry, oh yeah, some stories. It's sort of a bit like Entourage, yeah. Have yeah. you, did you ever watch that show? Yep, yep. Yeah. It's it, it's very much like I felt like I was in Devil's Web. Oh, um, yeah. the best. Yep. But, I, um, you know, I got to a point where I was turning down things like um, in, in the gig. So, like, mm. we, we were having dinner with, um, you know, the actors a lot of the time so that Baz could have casual time with them. And um, we, there were nights where I was having dinner with Tom Hanks and I would be like, hey, Baz, can I go home? And then instead of going to dinner, and in my head I was like, I've become so used to this. This is weird. Mm, like I don't wow. know how I don't Tom Hanks anymore. But we need some Maddie time. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie needs his time. <laughs> so can you tell me about, I did read somewhere that you had an interesting conversation with Tom Hanks about um, Invasion Day. Yes. How did that go? And I'm actually a- interested to know what Americans think of Australia Day slash Invasion Day. Like what's their knowledge of that? Yeah. It was a really awkward moment in the time that I was with Baz, to be honest, because I was put on the spot and I, you know, I was in a really small circle. It was uh, Catherine Martin, Baz's mm-hmm. wife, Baz, Austin Butler, who is playing Elvis, yeah. Tom Hanks and Tom's assistant. And we're in a really small circle. And somebody, I won't say who, but somebody said, oh, Matt, we can't say Australia Day, can we? We have to say Invasion Day, don't we? and sort of put me on the spot in a weird way that I actually felt really uncomfortable to be able to open up about it because mm. it was sort of like the spotlight was on me. I was with these, you know, these people who had no idea what we were talking about. Mm. And um, and I had to explain it to them. I, in the end, Baz, you know, always backed me on like race stuff and I, and I really appreciated his support when it came to talking about cultural things or race um, issues and you know about Australia's history he he fully sort of backed me in that moment but um it was 
uh, more of a conversation with Tom Hanks about um, Invasion Day, and he was saying that it's oh okay, I get it, sort of similar to um, Columbus Day. Okay. Um, and so he he ended up um, saying, oh okay, well you know we won't we won't say Australia Day, we'll say Invasion Day, which to me was you know a nice gesture, mm. but it was an awkward moment. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. sucks. It sucks yeah. that it was brought up in that way and not. And not brought up in a in a way of willing creating, to be educated. Yeah, and creating conversation around it rather than just putting you on the spot and making you feel uncomfortable. It's patronizing. Yeah. 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 It did feel like that in the moment. I remember we were in the biggest sound stage you could ever imagine, and there was just the six of us in this empty sound stage. So it <sighs> even looked worse. Oh my like, god. Oh my gosh, like I'm in this massive space. There's only six of us. I can't even like pretend to go and get a coffee for bats. Like, yeah, and oh they've directed God. it at you too. It's yeah. like, this is on. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Anyway, good on you. I mean, that's that's a tough. A lot well, of people. It's a tough could... crowd to be a, to have to 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 need to stand up and yeah. you know, yeah. talk in that moment. So good on you. Mm. Thanks. Appreciate it. And I like to think Tom Hanks is the nicest man alive. So please confirm that for us. Yep, he is. He really is. Okay. So, cool. Okay. Great. Everyone, actually, everyone on that film that I worked with was amazing Perfect. there wasn't one person who mm, okay there might have been a couple but there was 99 <laughs> percent of people were amazing. really yeah great oh, love so to hear good. it love to hear that love to hear those stories great i think that it's also very impressive i think a lot of people need to take from this the importance of diversifying your skill set you know you did not have any ea experience but you just went and did it and fucking figured that out wild like, and I don't yeah. think you should be – and I know that you were doing something that didn't feel right for you, but I think there's a lot to be said for actors that stick – just that one-track mind. It, no. You miss out on all these great experiences and learnings and I know that's a very unique experience, but it's almost just that yes-man thing of just go with the flow. You started on the SBS thing, didn't work out, but moved on to something else. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, like the word um, when you just said diversify, I, it took me back to – thinking when I was in um, in the position, how I was the only, again, the only black fella in this set, which was over 350 people working on this film. So, and, and that was something that I was aware of in the moment. I was like, the reason we're having this awkward conversation is because you obviously don't have any other First Nations people around. And if you did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, put me on the spot because I would feel supported or whatever. So um, mm. I definitely felt like in the moment, you know, yes, I was, it was great that I was in the position um, that I was in, but there wasn't anyone else there either. Mm. Interesting. It is interesting. I mean, in, I mean, going back to what you said about say, just saying yes to things, because in so many instances, even even though you went to Whopper and, I mean, you say you didn't learn anything about acting, but I'm sure you did, um, you know, going going to drama school or whatever or going to classes is never never ever the same thing as actually just being on set and 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 learning and doing it on the job and it's the same in any it's the same in any role mm. i mean we still say that we're winging something because we're not no, quite sure how, to, time we've how done to do it and we're just trying to figure it out yeah <laughs> yeah i think to- totally and i think um when i was on set seeing actors on set is exactly what pushed me back to wanting to be an actor as well mm. i came back and I went okay it's time to get an acting agent I feel like I am more myself than I've ever been I feel like um I suppose I I understand myself a lot better 
Um, so now is the time. So seeing them, yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. good. So good. And that's right. All the different experiences send you in different directions and reignite things for you. So that's really good. Mm. Love that. Um, well, while we're on the actor thing then, because um, Al and I, we're constantly trying, because we're acutely aware of um, how difficult it is or has been in the past for people from minority backgrounds to get into the arts because it, it was so, uh, what's a word, elitist, I guess. Mm. And there were only and doors. Yeah, and there were doors opened for certain people um, but not for others. So do you have any advice for young actors that you can give that might want to be getting, that might want to get into the industry but don't want to follow that traditional route of drama school or maybe they do? Uh, and they just don't really know how to kind of get there. Yeah, I have a, um, a great friend, Rudderwee Hick. Shout out to Rudderwee. <gasps> Love amazing. her. Um, she didn't go to acting school. She's somebody who went and um, trained to be a dancer yep. and, and, you know, found her craft and now she's this exceptional actor. I don't think that you need to, to stick to the systems that have been built for yep. society um, because a lot of the systems don't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're there as, um, they're a machine. So they're, you know, they're churning people in and out all the time. And it's only, it'll only work for a few. It doesn't work for everyone. Um, so I don't think that it's hugely important to, to see that as the crucial step. I think um, finding support and a team, you know, and people who you can talk to about your aspirations is, is hugely important. That's why, it's important to have management or an agent um, and securing those sort of support networks so that you can have important conversations about where you want to go and where you want to head and, and what's important to you and making sure that your team or your, your representation is um, aware of who you really are and, and what your truth is so that you, you, you both can work together to, um, I suppose, get to where you need to be. But yeah, I, I definitely don't think that you know, even the education system in this country is so flawed. I, I feel like there needs to be a, you know, an, an overturn in that in that system as well. So, um, I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't recommend. Oh, I'm I'm not going to not recommend going to acting school, but it's definitely not crucial. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we agree. As casting directors, it's not imperative. We yeah. don't look at people's CV and go, oh, we're only going to see Whopper grads or NIDA mm. grads or whatever. Yeah. It's it's um, yeah. It's certainly more about your ability and your talent mm. than your and your and you as a human being. Yeah. Than where you went to drama school. Yeah. So then, what is next for Maddie? Ooh, um, at the moment, I'm really enjoying being able to. I was going to say skip around. <laughs> <laughs> not what I'm doing but um jump from gig to gig and freelance and be able to um you know be in a lot of different circles I'm I'm really wanting to get my hands on um a good role um, mm. and I, it's 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 definitely important to me and I've been working with my um manager on you know honing my skill and craft and working with um with my with my manager to get an acting coach and and just revisit all those things that I once sort of learned. Mm. Um, but I'm loving being able to run my own schedule. That's like, for me, that's been so, um, I don't know, it, it's been liberating to be able to do, you know, 
tourism stuff here, entertainment stuff here, do my, you know, IGTV series. Um, but I definitely feel like next year I want a juicy role on something. That's the, okay. that's, the, that's the dream. And maybe I'll just go and ask for it. Yeah, put it out I there. What, what do you want? Say exactly what you want. Yeah, I want, um, I love playing roles that are really far from me. Yeah. So the, you know, the sort of the, <laughs> sounds awful, but the really dark and sort mm-hmm. of gritty, gritty, gritty characters <laughs> that yes. I can really go far to sort of um, portray. Mm-hmm. I find that if they're sort of, you know, um, closer to me, I find it a little bit difficult to get out of my own self. Yeah. Um, so I've been reading some scripts and, um, you know, there, there was this audition that I did um, not too long ago for this guy. It's a comedy, but the the character is one of the leads and he um, he's just a misogynist. He's such a total asshole um and is just like this person with so much baggage and and he's just you know really cocky and awful but something about that role was so interesting to me so um I I don't want to play the bad guy but I kind of do love it yeah I love that because it makes it so interesting though when when actors do that because when it's so far from them as a person, Mm. the transformation Mm -hmm. is so amazing for for us anyway. Like when we watch someone in the studio transform into something, it's like a whole, yeah. And especially unexpected as well. Like didn't see that coming. Yeah, love it. Okay, great. Well, we'll put that out in the universe for you. Yeah, and we're making a mental note of that too. Yeah, that's in the notebook. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we end every episode with our rapid-fire questions. One mm-hmm. word, one sentence answers. Okay, I am ready. All righty. Okay. What is your most irrational fear? Death. Oh. Okay. I feel is like that that's rational? not irrational. That's not irrational. Oh. It's <laughs> not. That's very fair. Okay, I think about it all the time to the point where I was in a plane yesterday. I was thinking, okay, if this plane goes down, how am I going to feel? I think about it if I'm in the ocean. If a shark <gasps> comes, if I'm driving, I think about it. Okay, so that's oh. irrational. All right. That's, yeah, that is. All right, there you go. Okay. Fair enough. It's not the fear itself that's irrational. It's the, the how overwhelming it is for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally thinking about the feeling of dropping out of the plane and I was like, gee, that would be scary for like 10 seconds. And then you, <laughs> then you pass out, so it doesn't matter. I've thought about that a lot. And I've watched a lot of air crash investigations, so it's all right. You pass out. It's all good. <laughs> God, you guys could bond over that. Yeah. <laughs> um, who was your biggest role model when you were a kid? Ooh, when I was a kid. There's a lady in my life called Pip, Pip Powell. Um, she's somebody who um, acted as my mother when I moved to my dad. She was a Christian lady in the community. I felt like she has stuck by my side no matter what, and um, we have a great relationship. And this is not one sentence, but um, she's a great mentor. <laughs> oh, oh, beautiful That's pit. so nice. Love it. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? <sighs> mm, I've been given a lot of advice, but um, staying true to who you are because it is really hard to do, Yeah, I find. In a world where you're constantly, um, you know, in, in a fast world in the city, I, I found it hard and I had to... I, I, Anyway, this is way too long, but I had um, I, I struggled to to uh, remember who I who I actually am and remember mm. that young thing. So remembering who you are, yeah, love it, great. Flip that. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? 
Um, your torturer is your remedy. Oh. Okay. Oh, we're, we're, we're both just going to think you deeply we're about both, that for yeah, a minute. We went, went like into very the deep internal. Realm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, and we ask everyone, who would you cast as yourself in a film about your life? Ooh. Um, who would I cast? Um, ooh. Um, oh, I've never ever, ever thought of this. No. Really? That's wild. Well, now uh, you have. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. You're allowed to say yourself as well. A lot of actors feel like they can't say themselves, but. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't play myself. No way. But um, okay. I Jake Gyllenhaal or um, mm, mm, no, that's it. Yeah. Okay. He's cute. I love. Yeah, he is okay. cute. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Love that for you. All right. Well, thank you so yeah. (laughs) But you know, he'll do a great. He's brilliant. So it's Oh yeah, he'll win an Oscar for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, Maddie. This has been wonderful. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Great. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That's the end of the episode, so we hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment, share, whatever you do. Um, so Tell your people. people. Yeah, tell your people so other people can also benefit from the clusterfuck that is Stefan Al. See you next time. The source is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we live, work and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture.